next Bible reading comes from Leviticus chapter 16, uh, starting at verse 3, going on to verse 22. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put, him, and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the, from the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot, whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own, for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tables of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood with his finger, sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover, then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take his blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness of rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent uh, of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Isn't that complicated and messy? Hey, Hey. a lot of blood everywhere. Okay. It's like it's a relationship with God. And it's gone wrong. It keeps going wrong. And that's why it's so complicated and messy. And it's just like any relationship we have. Uh, If that relationship that's important to us, that affects us, has got trouble in it, then we've got trouble. And if you know the other person, that helps. 
but people keep changing, so it doesn't always help. And the good thing about knowing God is he's unchanging. So if you know God, you're going to get the same response every time. He's not affected by moods or tiredness or changes of views or whatever. You get the same response, and you get the same response way back then as you get today. He doesn't change. That's the great thing about God. And so in the relationship with God, we're the ones that change. We're the ones that are all over the place. We're the ones that complicate it and mess it up. Uh, But God stays the same. And so that's really helpful for us because this relationship with God, as we see in Leviticus, as we'll see in Hebrews, is a really important one. We've seen in Leviticus how serious it is. The people got struck down because they did something they thought was all right but wasn't all right. And so we've really got to be aware that God is... A sovereign God, he's in control and he regards our relationship with him as important. And we need to be also like that. Let's have a look at it. Leviticus chapter 16. He starts right off, it reminds us back in chapter 10 of the two guys that came into the temple. Can we have the first slide up? Of the temple? Yeah, there it is. Uh, And you see in the temple... um, the inside bit, the holy place, the most holy place. The outside they can um, do sacrifices, offer burnt offerings, but they can't come into the holy place, the most holy place, unless God dictates how it happens. And so we see in chapter 16, the Lord said to Moses, the death of your two sons, uh, the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. They went into the, uh, into the uh, holy place. They offered uh, uh, stuff there they shouldn't have done. And they got struck down straight away by God, instantaneously, bang. And so that just left everyone going, what the heck? And poor Aaron, who's the father, is going, whoa, what am I I doing? What's going on with this role I've got here? This is is pretty, pretty dramatic. They'd only do what God wants them to. They're not to make up rituals. They're not to make up you know, what they think needs to be done. This is a relationship they need to listen to God and do it his way. If they don't do it his way, it's got huge repercussions. So it says in chapter 16, verse 2, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. That bit in the first part of the temple and beyond that. Beyond the curtain at the front of the atonement cover on the ark, or he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So that bit on the left there, he's not to come into there unless God tells him. In fact, he's only coming there once a year. He can go into the first part, but he can't go beyond the curtain. He can only do it when God says, otherwise he will die. Even though he's the high priest, he will die. So this is really important. And God's got, the reason is God's appearing in that most holy place. God is seen to be there. And Aaron's not to go in there. Um, if he sees God, he'll die. The problem happening in the Old Testament is uh, people didn't see God. If they saw God, it was a judgment day. Uh, there was a problem with our relationship with God that as human beings, we couldn't look at God unless we were being judged. There was a problem in us because we were, um, our relationship was damaged by sin. Even though there was a bit of a patch-up job going on here in the sacrifice system, it really wasn't uh, fully fixing up. We'll look at that in a minute. But hasn't that changed in Jesus? Because who is Jesus? God. And we, it's not that people can't go to him. God came to us. God revealed himself to us. So how different is it? But we'll look at that in a moment when we come to Hebrews. 
The reason they had to be so careful about entering the, the holy place and the most holy place and all the sacrifices they do, the trouble is familiarity can breed contempt. Oh, we, uh, we've done this before. And they could say, they could easily say, hey, look, we've got to offer all these you know, bulls and goats and stuff. How about we just do a quick one and do them all together rather than just do them in these sequences? Because there's a whole sequence here. Why don't we just offer a whole lot and, and throw in a few more and that'll cover it? No, it won't. You've got to do it exactly God's way. And if you throw a bit of blood in, okay, let's throw blood everywhere. No, you've got to put it with your fingertips. You've got to do it exactly the way God wants to. Because when you do it exactly the way God wants to, you're being serious about him. You're valuing him above what you want to do, what other people want to do. You're putting him first. And that's where God wants to be. Uncleanness has been a problem. We see in Leviticus 10, 11 to 15, there's a whole lot about uncleanness, about doing this and doing that. And this is really important to God. And people could inadvertently do something that makes them unclean or makes the, the sanctuary unclean or the people unclean. And so the Day of Atonement in chapter 16 is to deal with that. To deal with uh, cleansing the sanctuary um, if something's happened that uh, is not right by God. Aaron's to enter, verse 3, he's to offer a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering on behalf of himself, the high priest. Then he's to take two male goats for sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering for the congregation. And then in verse 4, can we have the next slide? See how this slide is? This is the normal clothes the high priest would wear. I mean, it's really royal stuff. It's, um, it's a priestly uniform, beautifully coloured, intricate broidery, gold and jewels made him look like a, a king. Um, but in the presence of God, he's to put this away. He's going to be stripped of all honour and he's become a servant of the king of kings. Thanks for that. Look at verse 4, what he's to wear. And it doesn't say here, but it's just really a plain white linen garment. He's to put on sacred linen tunic with, white, uh, with linen underpants next to his body. He's to tie a linen slash around him and put on a linen turban. Um, these are sacred garments and must, be, must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Why say bathe yourself with water? They're in a desert. How often do you reckon they bathe? Yeah, we were overseas in Europe. We went to this great palace, you know, one of the biggest palaces, best palaces to see, one of these families, you know, mega, mega wealthy, and uh, there was no bathroom. And I said, where's the bathroom? He said, the guide said, have you seen the bathroom? No. Where's the bathroom? Well, in fact, they'd only bathe once or twice a year. What? What? Number one, there's no hot running water. So it's not as though, you know, we go and turn the tap on, it's there. They don't have that. A lot of countries, third world countries, don't have that. Uh, but what they use, they use lotions and stuff because they had this thing that water was bad for your skin. And so they use lotions to wash themselves with and whatever. I don't know, guys. But I know, you know, the idea, the old joke about, you know, oh, it's not Saturday, it's not time for a bath yet. Uh, that's not so far from the truth. Because, you know, we're in our generation, in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we got running water, hot running water. But if you don't have running water, you've got to go and fetch it from a well or something, and then you've got to heat it up. And if you want to have a bath, you're going to have buckets and buckets. So you might, the best you might do is a bit of a wash with a sponge. Bathing, we're used to it. But back here, it's not. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. So he's going to bathe himself. He's going to put on his linen garment after he's bathed himself. Possibly once a year, I don't know. We don't worry about it. 
He's stripped of all honour. He's coming into God. So he's recognising, the high priest needs to recognise he's going to meet with the God of gods, the King of kings. He's got to prepare himself in how he washes himself, how he dresses, how he's going to behave in every single way. Verse 6, he's to offer a bull to make atonement for himself and his atonement for his household. Atonement means payment, a ransom, compensation, uh, making amends for something that's gone wrong. So he's removing the obstacles to reconciliation with God. And he has to do that by offering animal sacrifices. Verse 7, something different's going to come now. Verse 7, it says, Then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. Most people have heard of scapegoat. That's where it's coming from, way back there. You know, thousands upon thousands, you know, something like three, four thousand years ago, no, four thousand years ago, that's where it's coming from, the idea of scapegoat. And one, um, there's lots going to be cast, you've got two goats, and one's going to be for the Lord, and uh, that's going to be sacrificed. The other one's going to be, uh, tell, tell us in a minute about that. He's to take a bull for his own sin offering to make atonement. So he's still offering these offerings over and over and over. As I said, he can't do the bulk. He's got to do them in the order as God wants him to. Next one. He's to take um, a censer full of burning coals uh, inside the curtain. So he's going to have some burning coals from outside here, the altar of the burnt offering, and he can then take them into where, uh, behind the curtain where the Ark of Covenant is. When he takes them in there, uh, burning coals with incense, uh, what's going to be? What's going to happen? It's going to smoke. Have you ever seen incense being swung out? It smokes. It stinks. But there's going to be a lot of smoke. And when he goes in there, the smoke's important because he can't see God, as we've already looked about that. And so it's a ceremony um, where the symbolism is really clear here. He's meeting with God, and he's got to do a lot of preparation for that. Verse 20, we see uh, the um, bring forward the live goat. And verse 21 is really important. Look what happens to the live goat. One's been sacrificed and the other live goat. Verse 21, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins. He's to put on the goat's head. And he'll send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to the solitary place and the man will release it. This goat is going to bear all the sins. All the sins are symbolically transferred from the people to the goat. And it's going to be going out to an isolated place. Jesus was crucified in the, in the centre of Jerusalem. No, he's taken outside. Taken outside of a barren, ugly hill because it's all part of a symbolic act of being taken out as a scapegoat and he would bear the punishment for the sins. They're all transferred to Jesus. We'll look at that in a moment. And that's the idea of substitutionary atonement. It's coming right here with the scapegoat idea, which will come to fullness in Jesus. And the idea of substitutionary atonement means someone substituting in your place to get you right with God. Now, we see that all the time. Who watched the football last night, rugby union or rugby league? I started watching the rugby union and flicked it over. And when we started losing, I thought, that's it. I'm not going to watch it. Get thrashed by the. I'll go and watch the football on the other channel. Um, but if you watch that or basketball or soccer, a lot of team sports have the idea of substitutes. 
And if a substitute comes on, you can be playing the game. If someone substitutes you, or one guy got knocked in the head and didn't want to go off and he really tried to hang on there, but they said, you've got to go off, you know, and he had to get substitute. He wasn't happy about that. But if you're a substitute, you no longer can take part in the game. You've got to stand on the, sit on the sidelines and you can cheer on and do whatever you want, but you can't set foot on the field. You're out of the game. Someone is playing your spot for you in the game. That's a substitute. And Jesus, as our substitute, we could not get rid of sin. We can't pay the price for sin for we're guilty. And guilty people can't take, you know, can't, they just get punished. And we can't save anyone else because we're punishment. We're due punishment ourselves. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was perfect. He was due no punishment at all. He could take our punishment, be our substitute, pay the price for our sin, pay the ransom, reconcile us to God, atone for our sins as he died on the cross. That's what substitutionary atonement is, someone doing it for us, mending our relationship with God. Jesus did that. Let's go to Hebrews and see how that all pans out. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 starts with verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Um, The Old Testament, all the Levitical laws, all the laws about sacrifices, all the laws about how to deal with sin were a shadow. You know what a shadow is? We all do, don't we? If you see a shadow of a person, you can see their outline, you can see their shape. Can you see their hair colour? Can you see their skin colour? See their clothes? No, you can't. You may, you may be able to recognise that person later on, but probably not, because it's only a shadow, it's an outline. Or if you see an outline of a building, a shadow of that, again, it's that outline. Or a tree, it's just, you know, you can't tell colours, you can't tell lots of things. And that's what it's saying. All the stuff that we're reading about Leviticus is a shadow. It's saying there's something there and it's a sacrifice and it needs to happen. But what that sacrifice is, it doesn't tell us. And we'll just read in a minute that animal sacrifices weren't enough. We'll read that in a minute. So it's pointing forward that there's something needs to happen and it needs to be a sacrifice. And then we're going to read more about what that is. Look at verse 2. For this reason it can never by the same sacrifices repeat endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. These sacrifices uh, could never make people perfect. Uh, They were never enough. Uh, It was a system where it um, wasn't going to uh, cleanse something inside. Can we have the next slide? This slide is showing the, the new covenant of, with God. It starts at the beginning, goes to the end of the Bible, it covers everything, but in the middle part, the new covenant, uh, you see the old covenant revealed. The old covenant is all the sacrificial system. The laws, they identify sin, they identify we fail to, to be able to get it right with God. They identify that we need a sacrifice and sin serious and something needs to be done with serious. That's all in the old covenant. But it's all under the umbrella of the new one. Because the animal sacrifices, even though they were teaching things and they were showing things and they were keeping the relationship going with God, but they weren't fixing it. We'll look at that now. And more so, the um, new covenant is uh, the old covenant is all about um, doing things, it's external stuff. But the new covenant is all about hearts and minds. 
It's about God revealing himself and God working in us that we'll have a heart for him and a love for him and a desire for him above all things. And that's in chapter 8, verse 10 and chapter 10, verse 16. So in the part we're looking at, it's bracketed by these statements about God giving a new heart and a new mind working in his people. This whole bit we're looking is bracketed by that. Leviticus, an annual reminder of sins. Uh, Sin is serious, needs to be forgiven. And look at verse 4. Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These animal sacrifices could not pay the price of sin. How can an animal possibly be a completely adequate substitute for a human being made in the image of God? So something else had to be that sacrifice. But it's pointing towards that and we know where it's going. Verse 5. Therefore when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. And Jesus will live that perfect life. He'll submit himself fully to God in obedience. Verse 6. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. They didn't work. Then he said, here am I, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. It's that perfect obedience of Jesus is what God wants. That can be the only way that we can be right with God through a sacrifice of someone who has perfect obedience. Everything else was a temporary fix. It was a band-aid solution. It was holding things together. It was pointing and looking forward to Jesus. And we know Jesus came to do God's will. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke records in Luke 22, verse 42, he records Jesus praying so much it was the sweat was just pouring off him. And he knew that he was going to die on the cross. It wasn't the death that was a problem. He knew he was going to rise again. He knew it was going to be victory for God. And he knew all that, but he knew that when he died on the cross... He was going to take the punishment for our sin, the wrath of God. He was going to see a side of God he never, ever had experienced. There had been not even the slightest degree of tension in his relationship with God. He had that perfect father-son relationship that you could just dream about. And that was going to completely turn and he was going to see the side of God he'd never, ever seen. And that's what was challenging him. And that's what he was praying earnestly about. You know, can, the, can we take, take the cup from me and change the plan? But not my will, yours be done. He was obedient even though he faced something that was so horrible for him. He was obedient in the way that you and I cannot be obedient. He was perfect. And verse 10 goes on to say, And by that will he has been made holy through the, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've been made holy by Jesus' perfect sacrifice for us. We're justified, we're set apart, we're consecrated, we belong to God. And now we're experiencing continuing sanctification. Look at verse 14. Because by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever... Those who are being made holy. Perfect forever. You and I continue to sin. 
And as we sin, the forgiveness we have in Jesus just takes it away. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see people who are sinned and forgiven. He sees no sin. He sees perfect people. Because of Jesus' perfection comes to us. Jesus' holiness comes to us. He sees no sin because of what Jesus Christ does in us. Verse 12, it says that one sacrifice once and for all offered. Jesus has completed his work. He set down the right hand of God. And it's completed because now we all have access to God. Where the high priest could only go into that temple you know, once a year and only after all these sacrifices. In fact, they went over for a whole week and then there was one day where he had to offer a whole lot. It just was spread out and so meticulous and so careful and only he could go in once a year. When Jesus died on the cross, out on that hill outside of Jerusalem, what happened in the center of Jerusalem in the temple? Curtain was torn in two, wasn't it? You know, they had a they had a place like the tent of meeting, and the, and they had the, the the two areas of you know where the priests would come in and offer sacrifice, and they had a front part like across here uh, where the the holy place was, and the ark and all that was in there, and where God was, and they had this curtain, and it wasn't something flimsy. You know, it wasn't a sheer curtain. It was something like, you know, some curtain that was so heavy that it would never blow open. You know, a bit like carpet or tapestry. It was really heavy curtain. It was vital and important that it never opened up and people saw in there. And when Jesus died on the cross, at the moment he died, they found out later that in the temple, the curtain was torn in two. And so everyone could now see to where God was. But the t- curtain when the temple was torn to from top to bottom, and we know it was at least three metres up, which is pretty high, like up there. Now, if you're going to tear a heavy curtain up there, how are you going to do that if it's human beings? You could use a knife, but you'd have to be a tall guy or have some scaffolding or have something. But it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And it was God because when it was torn open, there was no one there. There was no one behind it that was tearing it open. People realized there was something supernatural. It was God opening himself up to all people. You don't have to go through the high priest and all these sacrifices and only he could come to God. Now we have a high priest in Jesus where we all have access to God. Free access. And that relationship that had been damaged and, and it was you know, being patched up with band-aid sort of stuff with sacrifices is now fixed for good all time in Jesus and we all have access to God. We all have a perfect relationship with God through the forgiveness we have in Jesus, through the reconciliation we have in Jesus. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? I mean, I know I'm forgiven, but I don't understand enough about this being made perfect and, and having this relationship completely mended. And as though God looks at it, me and says, there, there's no problem there, but I keep thinking, oh, there was problems, but they're all gone in God's eyes because of Jesus. And we're called to be people who continue to confess and continue to rely on Jesus, but people who celebrate what we have in Jesus and people who live this new life that we're perfect in God's eyes, that we're, we're reconciled to him, that the relationship is perfect again. And let's be people who value this relationship more than any other. It's such a vital relationship. 
It's one by which it gives us a real sense of direction and purpose in life. It gives us strength and courage. It takes us forward and takes us forward together with other people who have this same relationship. It's because of Jesus our scapegoat. It's because of Jesus our substitute. And so we're people who want to value Jesus more highly than anything else. We're people who continue to want more and more and more of Jesus. Never can have enough. And we're excited about that. We're at peace and, and horrible things can happen, but yeah, okay, but I've got Jesus. Yeah, back, back. Jesus is more important. That's what life looks like to those who follow Jesus. Let me pray. God, it's really amazing what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And we just keep messing our relationship well up with you because we aren't perfect. We sin, we let you down again, we do the things that we know we shouldn't do, we fail to do the things we should do, we don't consider you at all times and therefore we don't even know some of the stuff that you want us to do. But Lord, you're faithful to us, you're generous to us. You don't treat us as we deserve. You're a loving Father. You know we're weak, you lift us up, you refocus us on Jesus Forgive us, restore us into a right relationship with you. We restore us as perfect again, as holy, as consecrated to you. And Lord, give us a freedom of shame and a freedom of guilt. Give us a, a joy that passes all understanding, a peace of mind, a celebration, ability to go forward with strength and courage to face whatever comes knowing that we're in a right relationship with you and let us do it as people together who are joined in this relationship through jesus christ we pray in your name amen